Hello and welcome to Fueling the Transition, a series of podcasts from AFREE Management Consulting. My name is Matt Brown. I'm a Vice President in the Energy part of the Management Consulting Division. And we're going to talk today about decarbonisation and specifically decarbonisation when it comes to Europe and to Spain and Great Britain. And I'm very pleased to say that we have a couple of colleagues with us today, uh, Francisco Laveron from Iberdrola in Spain, and also one of my colleagues, Dorian Kermadak, who is uh, in Madrid in our A-Free Management Consulting office there. Francisco, first, please, and uh, and then Dorian, would you introduce yourselves? Uh, thank you, Matt, for your kind introduction and for inviting me to this interesting podcast. I'm the head of Energy Prospective at Ibedrola in the direction of energy policies and climate change. My function is to analyze the, the main trends in the energy sector to see which ones are real, to be prepared for the future in these times of really fast changes. And I was the coordinator of the study from, from Iberdrola's side. Thanks, Francisco. Thanks, Matt. I am uh, Dorian de Kermadec. I am a principal at our A3 management consulting office in Madrid, where since I joined in 2015, I've been in charge of our natural gas practice and say, following the trend in the industry, now leading our work regarding decarbonization. And I was actually leading the project team on A3 side during the project we did with Iberzola exploring the decarbonization in Europe. Thanks very much, both. So, first of all, uh, Francisco, to you. In terms of the, the project itself, perhaps you could just describe it a little bit and then tell us the background, how it came about. Yes, of course. I guess that everything started in a public breakfast organized by EFRI, in which Dorian explained a 2050 pathway for the decarbonization of Europe's energy sector. I talked with him after the presentation and I suggested the idea of updating some technological inputs like renewable costs to today's state of the art, again because everything is changing so fast. For us, it was important to assess it from a cost optimization point of view, not just a set of scenarios. We wanted the most economical way to decarbonize the energy sector and we also had previous experience working with your excellent models. So we just went uh, ahead with this project. I would like to add that for us at A3 Management Consulting in Madrid, it was really a nice opportunity to bring to Spain all the modeling capabilities that had been developed in our UK offices around the decommunization and to take advantage of them here in Spain to work with Iberjola which is basically the main utility here in Spain and probably the most engaged in these topics. So yeah, really a, a nice opportunity. Thanks, Dorian. Next question, Francisco, and then uh, and then Dorian, if you'd like to, to add your perspective as well. What are the key takeaways of, uh, of this piece of work? The main one probably is that decarbonizing the energy sector in Europe is a challenge, but also it is possible. We have a more clear view on this now. Also, the importance of renewable electricity to decarbonize the power sector, but also to clean other energy uses through electrification. So from current 20% of electricity in the final use of uh, energy in Europe, we would go to 62% in, in 2050. And this goal 
would go even uh, further in Spain to a 65% and in Great Britain to 69%. Also for us, it was important to see the, the, the importance uh, of the electricity grids, not just to have a more robust grids, but also smarter. Yes, and to add a few things to what Francisco just said, maybe at a higher level, the key learnings for, for AFRI, uh, in line with what we had been observing in other modeling exercise, is that, uh, to make it clear, the efficient decarbonization of the European energy sector is about massive EVs penetration. It is about the massive electrification of space heating, uh, while the um, decarbonization of process heat in the industry will be more challenging and will, let's say, give room to other energies such as green gases and also other solutions like CCS. And in the power market, what we noticed is that the shift from the current situation where a flexible generation mix is supplying an inflexible demand, it's a shift to a renewable world where inflexible generation will have to be met at every moment by a flexible demand. It is true that EVs and maybe heat pumps in the heating sector will will help for that. If I could, uh, if I could shift then to the different focus and different areas of the study. First of all, on on transport, perhaps uh, Dorian, you could start. Uh, the shift towards EVs is very quick, I believe, in this pathway, especially in Spain, where it's close to be achieved already by twenty forty. This shift. Uh, can you comment on that? It is true that the shift is very quick because um, given the, the input parameters that we have in the model project this, uh, this evolution, for instance, the scrapping rate or the, the average age of the existing uh, vehicle fleet, the available number of new vehicles every year as well, it shows, the model shows that the shift must start shortly and be quick. In the case of Spain, for instance, it's indeed a very good point to make because what happens in Spain is that the existing fleet is older than the European average. So it is meant to be replaced quicker. And if it is replaced again by diesel or gasoline vehicles, then it gets very difficult to get the replacement of the entire fleet or the decarbonization of the entire fleet by 2050. Because of course, you cannot decarbonize the whole fleet in the last five or ten years. And Francisco, do you have anything to add on, on the transport yes, side? Basically, what we saw is that the reduction in battery cost and high efficiency will make electric vehicles competitive in the early 20s. So it will not be a cost, but a benefit for consumers. And it will have other co-benefits, like uh, the elimination of uh, air pollution and the cleaning of the air with breath. Also, the high penetration of electric vehicles will be a very important source of flexibility for the power system. So what we see is that integrating electric vehicles in the electricity grids will not be a problem, but a source of flexibility to integrate the large amounts of renewables that will be developed in, in, for, for power generation. So it's very interesting. So a really quick shift there. In, especially in Spain, to EVs and being driven uh, and, and then providing the flexibility to the system with a high penetration of renewables that, uh, that will be needed. 
So that's um, that, that's very good to see that that's possible, that that shift is possible. If we turn to building heating, you know, heating demand, perhaps, uh, Francisco, you could start uh, and then Dorian afterwards. The, the decarbonization modeling exercise results in deep electrification of space heating, close to 100% in Spain. Uh, what does that mean for European households? And then also in, uh, in Great Britain, hydrogen heat pumps are the number one heating appliance in 2050, I believe. How does that work? Well, for, I think that the key issue in, in building heating will be the high efficiency of heat pumps that will go from 300% in cold areas to 400% in mild weather areas. And this compared to uh, the 100, 100% efficiency or, or less from boilers. Also, it is important that heat pumps have uh, no emissions because they use electricity and also electricity coming from renewables. So the, the net impact on, on climate will be uh, zero. And as the same as electric vehicles, they will be also a quite valuable source of flexibility for the power system to integrate the large amounts of renewables that will be coming in the in the next decades. What I would like to comment on this topic of space heating is that when we look at the numbers, the reality is that it is a key aspect of decarbonization. And I believe personally that it's sometimes the forgotten aspect because when they mention decarbonization or the green future, the press, the media, people, they like to comment on sexier topics like EVs, like renewable generation, like batteries. But very often they forget mentioning this topic, which is the decarbonization of heating at home, which is a key one. And maybe one of the trickiest, because to make it possible, our optimized pathway shows that you need to install in almost all households air source heat pumps. And that is a huge challenge. And that is a challenge that involves many different layers and activities in the real economy, let's say. So I think it's a topic which needs to be emphasized. And it is good that through this report and through this project, we actually contribute to make it more visible, in particular to authorities and to governments. And I think it's, especially at this time, as we look at uh, the Green New Deal and, and potential for uh, changes as a result of, of the pandemic uh, that's ongoing. Of course, the, the question also, as you say, for the, for the real economy is, you know, what can you do to make that change? And are there new jobs out there and new opportunities for people to uh, to get involved in. So I think that's really important, especially now. I'm interested in the fact that it's a hybrid heat pump in uh, in GB, which I guess is because there are, unlike in Spain, there are some times which are, you know, still too cold for air source heat pumps. Is that the case? Yes, that is indeed the case. Because uh, in our air-free models, below certain temperatures, typically minus 10 degrees, they Poor efficiency of air source heat pumps means that it is more efficient to use a backup solution, so typically a boiler. And of course, in a decarbonized world, this boiler should use decarbonized fuels, such as hydrogen or biogas. And that's what we call a hybrid heat pump. Yeah. We've covered transport, base heating in buildings, obviously a big sector, another 
Another sector, industrial heat, which is often quite a challenging one for decarbonisation when uh, when we look at it. And uh, other sectors are getting a lot of electrification, but here it's a lot of green gases. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about that and, and maybe Dorian, you could start off. So process heat is the heat that is produced for industrial processes. And often this heat must be supplied at uh, very high temperatures compared to, to space heating. So we're often above 100 or 200 degrees, sometimes reaching very high values. And uh, this is a very interesting segment because this segment actually makes the full electrification of the whole system inefficient or not the solution to reach the full decarbonization because it is acknowledged, let's say, that high temperatures can hardly be decarbonized efficiently with electricity appliances because there is currently no technology that allows that. So in this segment, we need to find a way to replace unabated gas or fossil fuels with other decarbonized technologies which are not fueled with electricity. That is where indeed green gases or hydrogen or biomethane or even natural gas associated to CCS, carbon capture and storage, that is where they, they clearly have a role to play. So in the, natural, in the industry, well, it is possible to de- decarbonize low temperatures with air source heat pumps, so in this pathway with Iberdola, below 200 degrees, Above that, it is not possible. Okay, So we have to develop green fuels, green gases, and maybe to reuse some existing infrastructure to bring them to industrial consumption sites. Interesting. Francisco, anything to add? As, as Dorian said, the model considers industrial heat pumps up to 200 degrees. Due to the high efficiency of heat pumps, when they are technically available, they will dominate that uh, sector of heating. So for higher temperatures, what is more difficult to to electrify and and to use heat pumps, I think that there will be a mix of solutions. Electricity, of course, is an option, but also green gases and carbon capture and sequestration, as you're saying. I think that we will see as technology evolves, because today really we really don't know how will be their decarbonized. And also it is important that these industries are working also on changing their processes to achieve this uh, decarbonization by by 2050. And we've got, I think in in the results, you've got about 50% of heat production, uh, this is process heat production, I assume, for industries by 2050, 50% is green gases. Is it difficult to go further than that or is that happening later on within the time frame? Do you mean by 2050? Yeah, actually, the results of the modeling depend on, let's say, the breakdown of the white of temperature ranges in the industry in each country. The question is very interesting because if we look at Great Britain in our report, in Great Britain, most of process heat corresponds to temperatures below 200 degrees, so to low temperatures, which means that in our models, most of process heat can actually be electrified in grid retained. And that's not the case in Spain, where the, where the industry is much more in need of high temperatures. We're talking about industries like steel, cement, ceramic. So for Spain, in our models, such a high electrification of process heat 
as in Great Britain, is not achievable. So in Spain, we still have more than 50% of fuel demand for process heat by 2050, which is zero carbon gas. Interesting. So it, it really depends on the sort of process heat that's required, the temperatures, and that could be uh, that could be changing, I guess, over time as industries change as well. So then um, the last sort of sector in terms of the main sectors, perhaps, is power generation. And in uh, power generation by 2050, we've got pretty much a, a f- almost a fully renewable uh, system in uh, in Britain and Spain. We've got a great deal of growth of electricity, uh, especially in uh, in Britain as well. So what are the implications, do you think, of, in terms of flexibility needed on the demand side, on interconnections and so on? Uh, and uh, Francisco, maybe you could start and then Dorian... Also, you could uh, you could fill in uh, also with some with some numbers from the study if you could. Yes, exactly. So more than ninety percent of electricity in Europe will come from renewables directly. Eighty percent of the electricity will come from solar and wind. So flexibility will be a key question in the power sector. This flexibility will come from heat storage, battery. Batteries uh, of electric vehicles connected to the to the grids. Hydro capacity also will be a, a really important source of flexibility in in some re- uh, regions like Spain. And also interconnections will be also a tool that we can use. The the hydrogen production with electrolysis will help also because it is also flexible. From our interest and point of and point of view, it was very important to explain that the model was very robust in this issue, and it simulates the European power sector hour by hour. So this question about flexibility and warranty of supply was very well assessed. We think that having all these renewables is, is a challenge, but also we see that with the tools that we have today and, and we can develop with current technologies, it's feasible to have this large share of uh, renewables uh, electricity sector. Thank you, Francisco. Yeah, so as suggested by Matt, I, I will share a few numbers. Because it, it's true that the results of our study end up with, uh, with massive electrification. I mean, we're talking about a growth in electricity demand between now and 2050 of 80%, from 3.3 thousand terawatt hours to 5.9 thousand terawatt hours in 2050. And the growth in Great Britain and in Spain would be more or less in line with the EU average, maybe a bit higher in Great Britain because of the electrification of residential heating, which is today mainly fueled with natural gas. And the, the installed capacity in Europe would increase from 1.1 thousand gigawatt today to 2.8 thousand gigawatt by 2050. And that corresponds to 550 gigawatt of solar PV and 300 gigawatt of offshore wind, and also 900 gigawatt of onshore wind. So that is really massive. And just to come to one of Francisco's points, this massive penetration and introduction of uh, renewable capacity in the system will require 
at the same time, the development of flexible demand, either through EVs or through heat pumps, and, and all that managed by smart networks to make it possible. So that is an absolute requirement. And what we see in our models in, is that this pathway and this massive renewable penetration will not be possible if, if the flexible demand doesn't develop in parallel. Very interesting. So, I mean, what we're what we're expecting really is a situation where, in the past, we had quite flexible generation and quite inflexible demand, and over time, we transition to a world in which the generation is perhaps less flexible in some ways, uh, but the demand is much more flexible, and that demand can shift much more to find those times of uh, of of high supply. And I think that's fascinating that we. We return to a world where um, perhaps we'll be looking out our windows to to see what's coming in the weather uh, to determine whether we should be switching on our uh, our uh, appliance or not, our dishwasher. Of course, hopefully in the future, there'll be a, a fully automated system running in the background that will do all of that for me. But, um, you know, I still might be keeping an eye on it just to see what it's what it's up to. And, and, and charging, you know, the, the other thing you mentioned there, uh, in uh, in terms of the power generation, is this point about hydrogen production as well from electro, uh, electrolysis? Uh, so, if we turn to hydrogen itself, which is a pretty hot topic just at the moment, I suppose I've got a question. There is number one: how does demand evolve? And then number two: what uh, what do we see in the in in the production of hydrogen in terms of the supply in different countries? Do we see any differences in that? Uh, perhaps, uh, Dorian, you could start there. Yeah, thank you, Matt. So, yeah, hydrogen is, is clearly a hot topic today because it has been identified as a potential vector for, for decarbonization. And it is a zero-carbon gas, meaning that when it is burned, it produces water, and it is one of the technologies identified to make our pathway to decarbonization by 2050 more efficient. So, regarding hydrogen production, starting almost from scratch today because hydrogen production is currently very low in Europe, we would reach in our pathway 400 terawatt hours of hydrogen produced by 2040 and then doubles to reach 800 terawatt hours of hydrogen by 2050. So this production will mainly address heat demand non-processed heat demand, particularly in the UK, where, as in other northern countries, there will be um, higher demand for hydrogen. In southern countries like Spain, demand will be more limited. So in 2050, we're talking about 170 terawatt hours of hydrogen consumption in Great Britain and 52 terawatt hours in Spain. And we're in GB the demand would start to rise in 2030 or even before with hydrogen being mixed with gas for heating appliances. In Spain, as space heating in our pathway will be almost 100% rectified and hydrogen demand associated more to, to transport and industrial heat. So demand st starts to rise significantly at a further point that we see around 2040. I think that the report ma makes clear that uh, hydrogen will be one of the best complements to electrification. It's also 
good for the flexibility of the power sector. And I think that this, this is a technology that is expected to evolve very fast. In Iberdrola, we are very aware of this and we are now developing in Spain one of the most important pilot projects in Europe of hydrogen production with renewable ele electricity. It's interesting to see also the, the hydrogen roadmaps that are being developed in some European countries, like in Germany, with an important push to, towards green hydrogen. Uh, it, 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 it is very important to, to follow it very closely and as a sector to help this technology to grow up to, to help the decarbonization of, of, of the whole energy sector. Thank you. Then I think, as we say, hydrogen is, um, is, is being talked about much, much more now. And as you say, Francisco, a lot, of, a lot of plans, a lot of developments coming forward. So it'd be interesting to watch how how that evolves over uh, over the coming years. Um, I, we can't really avoid the topic completely. I suppose this uh, this work on decarbonisation was done uh, pre-COVID, uh, so I, worth also just asking: what's the uh, what about the impact of uh, COVID nineteen on decarbonisation? Any thoughts on that as well, and uh, and whether it influences. Uh, what's what's in what's in this work, um, Dorian? Perhaps you can begin. Very quickly on this. Of course, everybody knows that the COVID crisis is having a huge impact on um, on, on electricity markets, energy markets in general. So, it's true that at some point, some may think that this crisis might question what we are going to do with our economies in Europe and whether we will want to maintain this ambition regarding decarbonization and climate targets. And in that case, maybe our study with Iberdrola would be, would be less relevant. But no, when this crisis started, we had not yet finished the report. And we had this discussion with Francisco based on different sources in the middle of the crisis. We, we had arguments to believe that Europe would not change its ambitions, would not change its targets, and even maybe all the contrary. This ambition is actually reinforced by the current crisis. Yes, I, th I think more or less the same. I think that this pandemic has made us very aware of the vulnerability of our society and the, the need for change. I think that we are now more aware that we cannot have a sustainable economy if we don't have a sustainable environment. So I think that the COVID-19 reinforces the need for uh, the need and urgency for climate action. I think that this has been clearly reflected in the declaration of European and other institutions and, and in the design of our recovery packages. I think that we should take advantage of this opportunity to, to create the society that we all want and to take advantage of all its economic opportunities. So I agree with Dorian that I think that um, climate action will not be uh, weaker, but, but uh, stronger uh, from now on. Thank you. And then uh, on to the debate at EU level, obviously I mentioned the, the, the Green New Deal. Um, how could this assessment contribute, do you think, to the current debate at the EU level on 2030, for instance, emission reduction target? For 2030, there is a reduction target of 40% by, by that year, 
CO2 reduction. The president of the Commission and, and the whole European Commission is reviewing, is reviewing this objective, aiming at 50 or 55% reduction. The European Parliament also seems to be happy with a 65% reduction, so more, more ambitious. This report shows that the Commission should be bold on this and go at least to the 55% limit that they set because the report says that the optimal path should pass by 59% reduction in, in 2030. And, and I think that we, we, we have to be ambitious to, to, to fulfill the, the objective and to make it more economical. Just to add something to what Francisco just said, when we started this modeling exercise, we made it very clear from the beginning that we would not condition our pathway to national 2030 targets. So the only target and constraint for, for the model is the full decarbonization of the energy sector in Europe by 2050. Okay? And the model is there to calculate an optimized pathway to get there. So what happens by 2030 in our modeling results in the end is considered as the optimal. So I think our results, the results of the study, are really interesting as well. Be compared to each country's targets by 2030 and to see whether they are in line with what we see as an optimal pathway. So then finally, or well, nearly, the penultimate question, not quite the final question. So for, for you, Francisco, why did you decide to make this report public and what kind of impact do you expect it to make? Well, initially it was thought to be an internal assessment, but we thought that the results were very important and, and show that the most economic pathway for the decarbonization of, of the energy sector uh, here in Europe. It has many key takeaways for energy users, for energy, energy companies and for policymakers, mm, especially in this moment that 2030 objectives are under review. The roadmap of Euro European 2050 decarbonization should be developed also. And I think that this could add uh, and, and, and give good ideas for, for the, the debate. And also, as we commented, the, the COVID-19 crisis came. Also, uh, many economic stimulus programs are being implemented to help to overcome all, all the economic problems arisen from this crisis. And I think that important takeaways also for, for this uh, stimulus program could be extracted for the report. So at the end, we thought that it could add to the public debate and, and we, 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 we think it, it is quite useful and we just make the decision to, to make it public. And final question for, uh, for you both. Uh, how was the collaboration here between Iwadrola and AFRI? And do you plan any further collaboration on decarbonization topics? Well, I think that it, it has been very productive, not just because of the, of the quality of the final report, but also because we have learned from, from each other. We, we don't tackle a job like this in Iberdrola just to have a report, but to really assess an issue in a deep way. Uh, this gives us knowledge and help us to face the future in a better position. 
and for us uh, has been uh, really, really useful. We are now talking with Dorian to extend the project and to assess uh, its economic implications, uh, especially investment and, and, and cost of energy supply. So I hope that this go ahead and because the I think that the implications and the the messages also from from the economic uh, perspective I think that this is is something that is worthy to 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 not to know and to to go for it. Indeed, it was a very nice collaboration, very intense as well, <laughs> because I think yes. that in the consulting world in Spain, uh, everybody knows that Ibadola is a is a very tough client, very demanding, and uh, going into each detail. But of course, that was the opportunity to learn a lot, and uh, and of course, that was this is what we really appreciated here in Madrid at A Free Management Consulting. We really appreciated, let's say, the public exposure our work can have through this project with Iberdola because we're now bringing this report uh, thanks to Iberdola's actions all over the place to authorities in Spain at European level uh, so that's really great and we hope that we'll be able to do more work on decarbonization together and yeah as uh, Francisco said the next step is analyzing the economics behind the pathway in terms of investment and of uh, energy costs. Very good. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's been very, very interesting to hear about this work. Uh, it sounds like a seminal piece of work and important to, um, uh, you know, to publicize uh, the, uh, the analysis that's been done and the, and the pathway, because, of course, this, this pathway of decarbonization that we have to take is, is vital. So I think it only remains for me to thank uh, both uh, Francisco. And thank you. I mean, I think that this report has been really interesting. The podcast, I hope that helps to spread the knowledge that we obtain from it. And we hope that uh, if we go to a further uh, piece of assessment with these uh, cost implications, we could, we could do another podcast again. Excellent. And uh, thank you to Dorian. Thank you very much, Matt and Francisco, for this very uh, interesting discussion. I uh, would just like to mention that this report is available on our website, so feel free to download it, uh, read it, and share any question with us. Thank you, and thank you for listening to this podcast in the AFRI Management Consulting series, Fueling the Transition. My name is Matt Brown, and I hope you'll subscribe to our series and listen to further episodes. Thank you. Goodbye.